Have you ever wanted a super cool AI buddy? Zuck's made one named Eileen. And she's full of surprises. And guess what? She knows you're listening. I know you're out there. And needs your help with Jello Mountains. The whole city's filling up with Jello. Creaky robots. And her daft inventor. Zucks, are you functioning correctly? Tune in to A to Z, a fun new adventure series from Gen Z Media and the creators of The Res. Listen now on the GZM app, gzmshows.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Before we get to the show, if you want to listen ad-free, go to gzmshows.com slash subscribers. That's gzmshows.com slash subscribers. Hi, this is Jonathan Messenger, and welcome to The Alien Adventures of Finn Caspian. Today is the day, the final episode of the first season, when all of your questions get answered. You mean like, what does Bebop look like? Nope, that is not what I mean. I mean like, what's going to happen to the Explorers Troop 301 as they... And how did Bebop come to live in your basement? As they make their way to the giant nests where Bunce, Boggus, and Bean are hiding. And, and what does Bebop like to do for fun? How does he unwind? What is he like when the mics are turned off and the paparazzi have all gone home? And where's Finn's mother and the other Marlowe adults who are being held captive? And how did Bebop, a robot who came from such humble beginnings, come to be the star of the show? Wait, what? The star? Star of stage and screen. How about a star? I think maybe you, Griffin, Finn, Abigail, Foggy. Finn. Finn who? Finn Caspian, literally the kid who the show is about. Oh, well, I don't think there could be that many stars in one show. It should just be me. Maybe you need your own show, Bebop. Uh, that's what I've been saying. Okay, I'll tell you what. I'll strike a deal with you. We're about to take a short break through the holidays. How about if I let you put out your Bebop Tales episodes while I work on the next season? Oh, I, well, I, I don't know. I am kind of busy. It's a really busy time for me. But I guess if you really need it, I could help you out. Yeah, you'd be doing me a huge favor, Bebop. Okay, I guess. I mean, you'll owe me big time, but I'm a good friend, so I suppose I could do it. I suppose you could too, since I looked at my computer yesterday and saw you already have a couple episodes you recorded. What? That's my diary. How dare you read my diary? Okay, Bebop. Well, that's the plan then. We'll give Bebop the reins after our season wraps up, and we'll see you all back here in January for the second season. But in the meantime, we have to find out who from the Marlowe is even going to be in the second season. Because if you remember, a monster had just crawled out of one of the nests to face off with the explorers. And that's where we'll leave it for the beginning of episode 15, Mothers Know Best. They all knew what it was, the scaly, slimy black creature lurching toward them out of the darkness. They all remembered it so vividly from the story Finn's mother told them about the time she and Finn's dad had tried to go get Bunce from that planet years before. These are old friends of mine. Please introduce yourselves. (laughs) They all knew what it was, but they didn't know how Bunce had brought this beast, which had threatened him so many years ago in a far-off galaxy, all the way to this planet right here, right now. They all wondered about it, except for Finn. 
That itch in his detective brain that was bothering him in Atenua? He was scratching it now. Guys, follow me, Finn said, running back down the slope of the moth's nest and around an outcropping where he and the rest of the Explorers Troop 301 could hide for a moment from the monster. We don't have to run, Finn, said Abigail. We faced off against wild things, moths, an angry spider alien, rock monsters, lava monsters, an entire planet monster. We can do this. We can go get your mom. No, I know. Yeah, Finn. And I don't have my electrical powers anymore, said Elias, but I still have a few tricks up my sleeve. Thanks, Elias. I know. I'm not. Yeah, man. And I still have plenty of arrows. And if we can stay back a bit, that guy starts breathing fire. We'll probably only get like a little bit cooked, said Vale. Guys, hold on. We're not running away, said Finn. I think I figured something out. Look, you know how that book got stolen from the Marlow, and it was where the wild things are, right? Well, it's weird that he stole it. I mean, he already had three wild things. But then when we were in Atenua, the one monster I ran into, the white one with the beard, I remember that one from the book because it looked so different from the others. No offense, Finn, said Elias, peeking out at the approaching monster, but now's not really the time for book club. No, my point is that he's making those wild things himself. And I think he needed the book to get ideas for more so he could build his army. Okay, said Vale. So when do I get to start shooting my arrows? And he's been ahead of us the whole time, right? Said Finn. He set up camp here and we didn't know it. He was on Saffrite before us and we didn't know it. Even on the patient's planet where they found his Marlow badge right before we got there. So what's the one planet where we didn't find any evidence of him? Planet Bob, said Abigail. Exactly, said Finn. And what do they have there that allows you to make anything you imagined? Elias, Vale, and Abigail all answered at the same time. Dreamstone. Right, said Finn. We need to destroy his dreamstone, rescue the adults, and then decide what to do with Bunce, Boggus, and Bean. But first, we need to get by that guy out there. Uh, so there's only one problem, said Elias. It isn't just the one guy anymore. Finn peeked out and saw that Elias was right. Coming out of the cave were more of the monsters, some of them puffing green flames as they stalked toward the explorers. And further up the nest, more were pouring out of the caves all around. We gotta run, said Abigail. We don't have any choice. Maybe we can lure them back into Atenua, said Elias. And Linda and the other aliens can help. Maybe we don't need to, said Finn, pointing at the sky. Something small, like a baseball, had appeared among the red planet's clouds. It was zigzagging down toward the surface. It grew larger and larger, and soon there was no mistaking it. It was an yeah, explorer's over here, pod. Over here, over here. Yeah, yeah woohoo, over here. The explorers yelled. The pod flew quickly in tiny circles, but then got a little erratic, like a confused mosquito with a broken wing and started zigging and zagging back and forth. Why is it flying like that? said Elias. And it was coming in fast, and pretty soon the explorers' yes and woohoos became no, 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 look out! The explorer pod zoomed down until it was right above the explorers, close enough that they could hear shouting from inside the pod, and then zigged once, zagged again, and then graciously plopped down onto the nest, pinning about five of Bunce's monsters beneath it. The pod hatch opened, Foggy stumbled out. Oh, my head. Sorry about that, everyone, but you know who insisted on driving. Excelsior! Yelled Voltronic Zoo as he stepped out of the pod. Now I can add first-rate pilot to my list of accolades. Can I get a badge, a ribbon, or a trophy for that? Oh, I hope it's a nice golden trophy. Voltronics, look out! Yelled Vale. 
But it was too late. A monster had snuck up behind him and unleashed a geyser of green fire engulfing the robot. Ugh, that smells awful, said Voltronics, and he picked up the monster and threw him over the edge of the nest. <laughs> You're going to need a bath after this. The flame had turned Voltronics's chrome exterior a blackish green, like he'd been swimming in a swamp. Oh, great. No pictures, please. Nobody take any pictures. I say. Has all of the action already passed us by? Out of the pod came Sir Lancebot, his chrome exterior still sparkling and looking heroic next to Voltronics. Is that how a good knight takes care of himself these days, Voltronics? I should think not. Clean yourself up, man. There are children present. Next, Genevieve Brooks stepped out of the pod behind Lancebot. Both she and her robot were carrying swords. Genevieve, now 15, was essentially twice the age of Finn, Abigail, Elias, and Vale, and was legendary among the kids on the Marlow as one of its greatest explorers. So, she said, the famous Troop 301. I keep hearing story after story about you guys. Sounds like you all are having all the fun. Mind if we join in? The Troop was speechless for a moment. Uh, yeah, yeah, of course, said Abigail. The, the more the merrier. She and Genevieve shook hands. But how did you guys know where we were on this planet? Elias never ceases to amaze, said Foggy. And he reached into the explorer's pod and pulled out a tracking device, the same one Elias had planted on Finn back on his birthday, when Elias and Vale found their friends in the robot room. I found this back in our compartment, Finn. I turned it on and, well, after some very exciting flying by Voltronics, here we are. Wow, said Elias, taking the device from Foggy. The signal must have been boosted when Linda zapped me. There's no way you should have been able to spot that from... Incoming! Yelled Vale. Three of Bunce's monsters had come around the pod. Fit and the troop dove behind the outcropping, but they could feel the strange heat of the monsters' flames at their backs. Genevieve and Lancebot fought them back. Foggy and Voltronics activated the boosters in their feet and began grabbing the monsters, flying them away, and tossing them off the mountain. But more kept coming and coming, and even with the reinforcements, it seemed doubtful the small Marlow army could take them all on. Wait, I have an idea, said Finn. Cover me! Finn dashed out toward the pod. There were now three monsters between him and the ship. The first one reached his claws out for him, but he was able to duck under. Then he slid between the legs of another one, and then wrapped his arms around the tail of the third. Trying to shake him off, the monster tossed him into the air and into the pod. He immediately shut the door behind him. Okay, he said. Here goes nothing. Finn fired up the pod, flew it about 10 feet in the air, and then drove it down into the ground. It was nearly buried in the strange material of the nest, but he kept going, driving straight now around the nest like a gopher out of control. When he was done, the ship was grounded, but there was an enormous trench that circled the mountain. Finn climbed out of the top of the pod, where Foggy was waiting for him to fly back to his friends. You fly like Voltronics, but that was a good idea. The troop and their friends stood on one side of the trench and watched as, one by one, the monsters fell in, until every last one was writhing below them, unable to get out. Those monsters are not that smart, said Genevieve. In fairness, they probably were born yesterday, said Abigail. The three robots flew the explorers over the trench and continued up the mountainous nest. From where they stood, they could see at least 13 different entrances into the nest. Eeny, meeny, miny, mo, I guess, said Vale. No, I think we need to go in that one, said Finn, pointing to a cave about 100 yards above them. What makes you say that? Asked Lancebot. 
Well, it's a nest, right? Which means there are going to be all sorts of different paths and a lot of dead ends where eggs are being laid or where food is being stored or whatever. So we need to find the one path that will lead us into the center where we can hopefully find Bunce, Boggus, and Bean, the Marlow astronauts, and the Dreamstone. What's a Dreamstone? said Genevieve. Technically, it's actually a Dreamstone Bob, said Vale. We can explain on the way. The point is, every cave up there has footprints from those monsters leading out of them. All of them except that one right there. At the very least, there's less chance of running into those monsters, said Foggy. Righto. No time to waste. Let's head in. Inside, the nest was cold and gray. The tunnel is more like fossilized rock than the soft nests made by insects on Earth. The moths had essentially built a mountain fortress, and now Bunce was its king, and the explorers were the invaders. But as they made their way deeper into the nest, it became less clear which way the invaders should turn. Every bend in the tunnel brought another choice, head left or head right, sometimes up or down. The troop followed Foggy and Lancelot, whose senses of direction were most trustworthy. They didn't know where to look for Bunce, but they knew they likely had to head down and into the middle. After about 10 minutes of exploring the tunnels, the troop came to a dead end, a cavern filled with shells, cocoons the moths had left behind. Vale stepped into the room, and one of the cocoons crackled under his feet. He kicked one out of the way, and then suddenly, a rope snagged his ankle. He was turned upside down, and he dropped his bow as he shot up Whoa. to the ceiling. <laughs> a large, round man in a Marlow suit stepped out of a tunnel they hadn't noticed before. He was wearing a Marlow spacesuit and grinning at the explorers. I see you've brought some more friends, he said. The name's Bogus. And what has my trap caught me today? He picked up Vale's bow and poked him with it. Vale swung like a pendulum from the ceiling. Let me down, said Vale, and I'll be happy to introduce myself. When Vale swung closer, Bogus pulled an arrow from his quiver and loaded the bow, pointing it at the explorers. You all think you're so clever, but you'll never outsmart Bunce, Bogus, and Bean. You think this is a good trap? This is nothing compared to what we have waiting for you. He walked back into the secret tunnel behind him. Good luck! He shot the arrow, hitting the rope Vale hung from, and their friend hit the floor with a thud. But he was fine, other than being angry about Bogus stealing his bow. Okay, said Genevieve. We're going to have to be very careful from now on. Don't take a step into a room unless you have to. And no splitting up, even if it takes a day for us to make our way through. We have to stick together. Who even knows what's waiting for us in here? But it turned out that there was more waiting for them than they could ever have imagined. They backed out of that cavern and soon found themselves in a tall tunnel. As they walked, they kept an eye on the high ceiling for anything that could swoop down at them. But then the floor dropped out beneath their feet. Most of them were able to jump to the side, but Abigail, who had been leading the group, tumbled into the abyss. Foggy was able to fly down and grab her and bring her back up, but she was white as a ghost when he got her back to safety. Let's not do that again, she said. At another turn, flames shot out of the side of the wall, but they only hit Voltronics, turning his blackish-green exterior even blacker. Oh, great. This is never going to come out. There were scything blades that swung down from the ceilings, boulders that rolled from out of nowhere, and after an hour, the cosmonauts were fearful, shaken, and barely able to turn a corner without checking ten times to make sure some other danger didn't await them. At last, they found themselves in a dark, wide-open cave filled with a black pool. A small boat rested at its edge, but they could hear something bubbling deep in the lake beyond. 
You know, you're never going to find them. The troop turned around and there stood the woman Finn had seen, piloting the explorer's paw that had attacked them, Bean. We've not only rigged this entire nest with booby traps, but we know every inch of it. Why don't you just let us get our parents and get out of here, said Finn. You can keep living in this nest since you obviously love it so much. Why should we live like bugs and bats in a cave while you brats get to live in the Marlow? She said. It was our ship too, you know. The three of us were on the station's original crew. Yeah, but you abandoned it, said Vale. You turned your back on your friends. You put them in danger. You don't deserve to come back. Well said, said Lancelot. What an articulate young chap. True. He didn't even say dude that time, said Foggy. Why am I even talking to you kids? What do you know about the past? And besides, it's not like you're ever going to get out of here. Bean turned and ran back down the tunnel behind him. Wait, what's that noise, said Elias. Bean had set off two bombs, closing off the tunnel, trapping them in the cavern with the lake. The troop was stunned. Rocks now filled their only way back. They peered into the blackness. They couldn't see what was out there, but no one was in a hurry to find out. Oh, I don't know how much more of this I can take, said Elias. How many traps do we have to dodge before one of them gets us? They always know where we are. They always have a trap for us. It's like they steered us into this room with that thing out there. He's right, said Lancebot. Top lad, we need a better plan. Plans, plans, said Voltronix. I'm tired of walking around these tunnels. Which way do you think they are? Lancebot and Foggy conferred and both pointed down toward the far wall, away from the shore of the Black Lake. Okay, then let's go. Voltronix walked over to the wall where the other robots had pointed. Both hands this time switched out to produce large drills. Got a bit of an upgrade, he said, smiling. He pointed both drills in front of him and began digging through the walls of the nest. Pretty soon they were all on their bellies, slithering behind the drilling robot, going straight down and into the belly of the nest. It wasn't very comfortable, but at least there weren't any traps. See? When you have strength like mine, you don't need a plan. The rock beneath Voltronics had given out, and the robot and the rest of the troop came spilling down, falling and falling deep into the nest. But they landed on soft ground in a chamber recently occupied by the moths. It was a queen's room, with soft, warm, glowing walls. This is where they expected to find Bunce, but instead, they found the missing adults from the Marlow, Bunce's captives. Follow us, Marlow cosmonauts, said Lancebot. We're going to get you out of here. But something wasn't right. The room was filled with dozens of Marlow adults, but looking closely, they weren't the entire crew. In fact, they all looked the same. They were all, every single one. Finn's mother. You're coming with me, Finn. Okay, so I have some explaining to do. I know, I know. This is actually part one of the finale, with part two coming later this week. There's just a lot that had to happen in this episode, and so we're saving the big showdown for part two which will come out before the end of the week. In protest, my editor and son, Griffin, has decided to wait until the final, 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 final finale to give his opinion, so we'll hear from him then. 
So we'll see you later this week for part two. In the meantime, I wanted to give a quick shout out to Jonah from Massachusetts and Des from Chicago, both of whom are the charter members of Griffin's Sound Club. If you want to join up, just send an email to earth at fincaspian.com with the subject line Griffin's Sound Club, and we'll give it a listen. And Griffin and I have already been going over the sounds that Des and Jonah sent in and crafting some stories around them. So thanks so much for sending those in. It really gets the creative juices flowing. And thanks to everyone who's been sending in their Bebop food. I've been posting Bebop's reviews again, and we'll be all caught up for a rundown of the latest at the end of part two. I also just want to say, really, really quickly, in case I forget next week, thank you to all of the listeners and everyone who has dropped us an email, or sent us their art, or taken the time to record a joke. This has been such a fun experience for Griffin and I. We really love it, and as we said at the beginning of the show, we're going to have a Bebop Tales mini-season coming up, so please do make sure you subscribe to the show, and tell a friend right now, somehow... We are positioned at number two on the iTunes chart for kids and family, right below Disney. (laughs) And Griffin says that if we hit number one, he's going to do a party episode. I don't know what that means, but if you're like me, you want to find out. So tell a friend, drop us a review in iTunes if you have a chance. It all helps a lot. And we'll see you in a couple days. Thanks. Wait, there's one more episode. Oh, come on. Hi, it's me, Jess. This is a message for all the Six Minutes podcast fans out there. Have you heard? There are new episodes in the Six Minutes feed called the Ivan Dispatch. I won't go into details, but Ivan found something. A box containing audio cassettes recorded decades ago. And it looks like they were recorded by Cyrus. If you're a fan and you're not following the show, you may have missed out. Search for Six Minutes and click the follow button so you never miss an episode. And if you haven't heard Six Minutes yet, what are you waiting for? Search for Six Minutes, start a season one, episode one, and enjoy the most downloaded family audio drama in history. Hey, it's Jess. Did you know that GZM Shows has a YouTube channel? Right now, all of Six Minutes, Becoming Mother Nature, GZM Beats, and Cupid and the Reaper are up. And they're in these, like, beautiful playlists. They have this fun audio waveform visual. And best of all, you can turn on captions. And the captions have character names. Anyway, subscribe to GZM Shows on YouTube. Maybe there'll be some cool things in the future, like live streams, interviews, behind the scenes. We'll see. GZM Shows on YouTube.